Hey, it is time again to aerate your lawn and get it healthy and green for the summer. March, April, and May are the best months of the year to get your lawn aerated here in Colorado. So get a hold of our good friend Florian McCann by going to his website, milehighservices.com. That is milehighservices.com. Or call Florian and his crew at 303-778-1000. That's 303-778-1000. Somewhere in between with Coach Moles and the Coop is brought to you by Dick Carriers. Respect your package. Somewhere in between the radical arguments of today's world topics of sports, faith, politics, the economy, and the massive spread of drug and alcohol addiction lies a lonely place with evasive conclusions called the truth. Somewhere in between with Coach Moles and the Coop has a mission of getting to the truth, that place where revelation lies and wisdom prevails. Our guest today is Al Bubba Baker. Bubba is a graduate of Colorado State University and was drafted in the second round of the 1978 draft by the Detroit Lions. He made his mark early as he began his NFL career with the Lions with an incredible 23 sacks his rookie year. That led to him being NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in 1978. He made the Pro Bowl three years in a row in 1978, 79, and 1980. He was All-Pro in 1978. He played for the Lions for five seasons, starting 66 of 67 games. Baker played 13 years, also playing for the St. Louis Cardinals, the Cleveland Browns, and the Minnesota Vikings. He started a restaurant called Bubba's Q, world-famous barbecue in Avon, Ohio. Bubba also appeared and won on the ABC TV show Shark Tank for his Bubba Q's boneless ribs. Al is now CEO of his new telecommunication company, Revelation Approach. Revelation Approach saves telecom users up to 20% on their current bills. And now, Al Bubba Baker joins Coach Moles and the Coop. Hi, welcome everybody to episode 13 of Somewhere in Between with Coach Moles and the Coop. We all know who the Coop is and we know who, well, the Moles is. We'll just leave that alone. Coop. So, Coos so, lines with stupid. Yeah, here we go. Stupid. And uh, <laughs> we'll leave the defensive lineman over there by himself so he can uh, just drink his Wait coffee. a second now. You got one of the best defensive linemen in the world. I, I know, Ever. and I can't wait to introduce Al Bubba Baker to everybody, right? And Al's got – here's what I love about what I've already talked to Al about. He's going to tell the Mulaney truth, right? He's going to tell, <laughs> tell things – that I've only heard, you know, your version of, which, like, we know the deal, right? There's there's A story, there's the B story, and then there's the C story, I mean, which I, is the truth, right? Well, I told him, like, I cut six times in the NFL. How much worse can it get? <laughs> well, I think we're going to find out, right? But Al, Al, Al you got – how about Al comes out? Al comes out of my – find out something worse. <laughs> How about you, Al? Uh, no, I, wait, wait, wait. Al comes out of CSU in the second round, right? 1978 draft, right? To the Detroit Lions, right? At 6'6", 250 pounds, right? And I've heard stories about Big Al, okay? Um, you know, and, and actually, Al, I know we played against each other at some point because I was in Denver for four and Tampa for three, and you were in Detroit, and we moved. you were in Cleveland. And, and I, anyway, we moved around a whole bunch. And I, I know at some point, I, I just remember us, I don't know if we played heads up each other because uh, I played some right guard and left tackle, but 
I know we matched up at some point over the years, but I'm trying to remember and it'll come to me, but uh, what, what a great career, right? 13 years, man. That's a, that's a lot of, yeah. a lot of abuse on the body. And uh, we, and we'll kind of work our way through your stats and, you know, NFL put defensive rookie player of the year, you know, three-time pro bowl, um, you know, what, 78, 79, 80, um, Played for the for the Lions for five seasons, started sixty six out of sixty seven games. Um, shoot, um, what eight and a half, nine sacks? Uh, shoot, a couple interceptions. Tell me about the interce- interceptions. So how would you get some interceptions? You pick one off right well, off the line. It, you know what? It, it was uh, the guy that trained me, um, Floyd Peters. He 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 was one of the few people. He was one of the few people that that saw my skill set. My skill set. Um, when you ask that question of how you get an interception, uh, Ryan can probably speak to this as well. Uh, Coop, college, you get trained by coordinators to do exactly what they tell you to do. And proof of that is, is on Monday, you have this dumb thing called a grading, right? And you get like a, a point for lining up exactly right. You get like a point for if you're on the outside shoulder. So take, for example, in college, when it was third down and 12, I was in New Jersey. I was so wide. And on Monday or in Sunday in college, they would give me a demerit. And I think the highest I ever graded was like 61 in the college because, you know, I came to play football. So college, we're trained to do exactly what the coordinator says do. When you go to the big leagues, they'll line you up. But what this guy taught me, and this is how I got a few interceptions, locate the ball and make the play. There you go. That that was what I was taught, you know. Mm-hmm. You locate the ball and make the play. And so a lot of times I'd be on my way on the rush. And one time it happened against Tony Dorsett. He was a great screen runner. And uh-huh. every time he would like, I knew Tony Dorsett wasn't gonna help nobody block. So if he came my side, I followed him. <laughs> and we played Dallas uh, on a Thanksgiving Day game. And sure enough, Tony Dorsett. You know, he came out on a swing. I knew he wasn't going to chip me. Tony wanted nothing to do with linemen. (laughs) And I followed him. And Danny White threw the ball right at me. What was ironic was I didn't even know I caught it, to be honest. So I'll take the credit for it. But it just kind of stuck to me with all them pads and everything we wore back in those days, Ryan. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got them all the way up your hands, all the way down to your elbows. Tape everywhere, elbow pads, everything. You well, know? I had to play. I had to play with the basketball knee pads at UNLV because our turf it was 113 degrees. Oh yeah, and our turf was so hot that it would burn my burn my knees through. So I would wear. Yeah, I was I was completely covered. And but, so were you. I yeah. saw. We, we're gonna your picture's gonna come up. With, we got some pictures of you. Not while we're doing this, but while we're talking, a picture of you. When yeah, you okay. Play. Okay. But, yeah, but, hey, but seven, 75 and a half sacks with the Lions, right? Ranked the ninth, yeah. ninth greatest pass rusher in NFL history by Sports Illustrated in 2007, right? Uh, Cleveland Sports Hall of Fame. Um, well, then you go on to the then you go on the uh, next four seasons with St. Louis Cardinals, right? And you, uh, what, 13, 10, 4, 10 and a half? What's that? I mean, you're, 
you're just killing it um, with sacks and with and the two interceptions there, right? Um, yes, sir. I mean, what a great career. I mean, how much fun did you have, right, leaving out of uh, – the uh, University of Mulvaney, isn't that what it's called now? Did you call it that yeah. in, the, in our pre pre It was it was up there. It was it was up uh, seventy miles uh, north of Denver, where CSU was supposed to be, but it was actually called the University of Mulvaney. Right. And it was Ryan, Ed, and Mark's dad, and I can't remember his sister and their Man. mom. Those are the people. I remember as the first family when I got to Colorado State, <laughs> they were the first family, the Millennials. I'm a little bit, little bit of trouble with and you. There you go. You can't hear me? There, you don't want to miss this. That's good. Yeah, that's right. better. Yeah, they were the first family of Colorado State. And between Ryan's dad, his mom, Big Ed, Mark, and him, um, the only thing that I could say was they had a differensive opinion of where Ryan should have been playing. He wanted to be the middle linebacker. Uh, and I think they wanted you to play defensive line. What was that, Ryan? What happened? Yeah, they moved me to nose guard. <laughs> then they, they got rid of me. I was out of there fast, Al. <laughs> I, I remember you wanted no – I don't blame you, first of all, being inside there. But I do remember you had, like, let's, I mean, we're going to be honest. You had, like, this glorious position in mind. You was all set for it. All the Malini were beautiful people, long locks and walked up straight. Um, we used to call Mark. We said that he was the best-looking man in an NFL uniform. So Ryan and all them come from the same school of thought. He came to play. He was dressed for it. And they put him in the middle where all the hogs play. Well, they, they, they were trying to get me hurt, Al. They wanted me out. So they got rid of me, and I transferred over to CU. And I, went to University. I, I, I don't think they were trying to hurt you, man. I just think they just put you at nose guard to, to kind of offset your dad, because I remember your dad. He he had a mouthful. Had, had, your whole they, family did. They had enough of Big Ed, and they didn't want me around because getting rid of me. Big Ed. <laughs> You know, so put him in those <laughs> guards and discourage it, right? That's exactly what happened. Man, I got that my ass dis- too. That would have discouraged me or anybody else. No, human beings don't play in their nose guard. You know, I, uh, at the end of his career, Curly Culp came to live with me at a Hall of Famer, and I would watch him in one on one up in Detroit, and I would think to myself, "Why well, would hate the job of having to double team this guy?" Because you got to explain on Monday on Coach why you couldn't move him. I mean, he was unmovable. So, Ryan, we weren't built for that position, you know? No. You know, I mean, you can't have all those legs like you had. Right? Were you about 6'4"? You're about 6'4 yourself? Well, no, when, I, when I was a freshman, I came in at 6'4". I, I ended up being about 6'5 and a half. Uh, yeah. yeah. I was still growing. Now. But you had a – your family was tremendously blessed, man. You had a – you had a you know, at your dad at the top. But, hey – I never patterned myself from that because my kids didn't turn out to be athletes. Uh, I had a boy and a girl. I have a boy and a girl. They're adults now. So I never got to play that role. But your dad played that role, Ryan, at that point. You think about it, if you think back, he was ahead of the game when the fathers kind of represented their their children because a lot of stuff goes on at the big league level. And college is big league, Right. 
And they do need to oversee. Your father was very involved. He was, hey, so a lot of us, especially kids like myself, uh, I didn't have a dad. You know, I kind of envied that man because your father was on the scene. I mean, I mean that as a compliment, honestly. Well, so, Al, you know, my dad ended up uh, representing 38 players in the NFL. No! Including me and Mark, yeah. I didn't know that. He never took a single penny. He, all he did was he grabbed guys, uh, you know, he, he got Johnny Square. He got, if you named all those guys on Mark's team that were, you know, there wasn't one white guy involved in it. You know, it was just uh, all the black guys he thought, they came to him and said, I want a shot to the end the NFL. He got him a shot. He did it for UNLV when I ended up at UNLV, playing at UNLV. Wow. And uh, he – he got guys with the Broncos, with the Vikings, with the, you know, with the LA Rams, all these different, different people. Didn't take a penny. All he said, wow. if I got to fly somewhere, you're going to pay for my flight if you get paid. And, uh, wow. you know, he, uh, he did that for a long time. He ended up singing Nash, the national anthem on Monday Night Football uh, wow. many times and became good friends with Howard Cosell. And he used to come out with a six-pack of beer and walk on the practice field, and Bud Grant drove Bud Grant nuts because he'd be out there drinking, watching our practices, you know. So <laughs> I switched gears, though, because, Al, my dad loved Al Baker. He, uh, 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 you were a special uh, hippie man. And he followed man, you're giving me, you're giving me uh, goosebumps because I was always envious of you and your brothers because I didn't have a dad. And, and, you know, and to have a dad, if I was going to have a dad, it would be it'd be hard for him to explain that to your mom. But it would be your dad. That that guy was I mean, he just had such a presence about him. But you know what, Ryan, I want to say this. And I mean this sincerely. Um, I think your father, again, was ahead of his time. Because you and I know if it were if if we had ESPN and we did 30 for 30 stories, your father would be featured on there because he had a deep understanding. I, I'll tell you what it is. I can tell you what it is now that I'm a businessman. Your father knew that scholarships had tremendous value to him. Oh yeah. You know, he understood that. See, a lot of people that they didn't have. A, you know, a family full of successful young men like your dad had, and he went through it with Ed, and he went through it with Mark, and then here you come along. So he knew how to help you manage your career. So a lot of the people at the at those levels, they don't want that. They just want you to jump. And, and again, you get taught. You think about college. You get taught exactly what the defensive coordinator wants you to do. And even at the risk of if that guy closes down as a tackle and you're in the end, you close, quarterback pulls the ball out and runs that way. But as long as you went with your guy and with your responsibility, you did your job. Well, but the ball's over there, coach, you know. And that's what it was, uh, you know, in film rooms in college. And that's where it's supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to tell this kid, you look at that um, culture of constant improvement in Alabama. Hey, man, they do exactly and they go exactly where, but as soon as they get to the NFL, they tear it loose, man. You you know, look at Derrick Henry. You know, he's he's running to a hole now. He's not running exactly in the two hole, you know, and so on and so forth. And that's the way 
college, that's what's made college so great that they put you in your position. But that's where you have to come out of that mold and grow into a guy that's making plays in the NFL. You you can't just line up and say, coach, I lined up in the right position. If you ain't making plays, you out of the business. Yeah, I don't even think so. But like my first year in Minnesota, we had a coach that was the head coach at Minnesota University of Minnesota. He retired. He became the D-line coach at Minnesota Vikings. And his name was Murray Warmath. And he didn't know a single thing about the defensive line. He'd just stand over a ball and do get-offs and say, that too, that too. And then he snapped the ball and he was about 70 years old. I got the benefit of being around, you know, guys like Jim Marshall and Carl Weller and my brother Mark. Those, those are the guys that taught me how to play. But Buddy Ryan uh, used to say, uh, he came up to me and said, hey, you know, he came up to me during a game and he said, hey, you know all that stuff we taught you over the last few weeks? I said, yeah. He goes, how's it working? I said, I'm not doing very well, coach. He goes, well, in this game, you better find a way to make it happen because you'll get cut doing our stuff because you don't do it well. And he said, you better figure out how to beat that guy out there somehow. See you later. Patted me on the ass and sent me on the field. Because you got to make plays in the NFL. You do? Okay. Yeah, I I live in – I live – uh, on the 10th floor in the condo. So that's probably what it is. I, I apologize for that. But anyway, we, 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 we made that, we made that distinction. Um, and I think it's a really, whenever I go on, I try to talk, I make sure I try to talk about that, you know, going from high school to college and then from college to pros, those are different ceilings, man, that an athlete has to break through. Again, I'm going to come back and say, that's where having your dad uh, around I, I, I'm going to give you an example. I know you're not going to believe this, man, but I kind of learned from your dad and Mike Bell's dad and mom being there and, and you know, not having the dad. I, I really, really admired it and I envied it to some, you know, yep. because you had that person that you could talk to. <clears throat> um, I, I want to share this. I don't think anybody, I've talked about it before, but I don't think anybody's able to measure. There's two things I want to tell you about. One was I experienced it. When when I got to Fort Collins in 1974, there were five black athletes on the entire football team. I could name them by hand. Jerome, Big Al Simpson, Seeging Cheese. Uh, I can't think of this offensive guard name, but the, it was a guy named Eugene Butler. Remember yeah, Eugene Butler, the running back? Yeah. Yeah, he was crazy as a Betsy Bug and, and strong as I don't know what, and a black belt karate, and we were all afraid of him. I'm sure you remember him because we have nightmares about us. Yeah. He, he, well, he's so we're Johnny Square and Willie Miller there, too. Yeah, and Johnny Square and Willie Miller has seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Eugene Butler was on JV with me. We were, we were south, but I'm talking on the varsity. Yeah, but if you, if you get what I'm saying, it was a handful. And and what I'll tell you was all of us could have used a father, and that's what your dad served as. Because to come that far away from home and to go through a culture shock, you, a lot of the things that you learn um, at, at the co- collegiate level, they're a lesson. What do you expect for a 17 and 18-year-old? You're a doofus. You don't know anything. It's just so costly when you learn them, you know? 
when you come to a campus and you move into that life and all of a sudden, you know, you've got an eight o'clock class in the morning, you miss that eight o'clock class, you're going to get punished. We're going to run you until you throw up bile, you know. <laughs> it only happens if you're smart one time and it did happen. <laughs> you know, you know, went to a camp, went to one of them on your floor campus party in the towers, got drunk. You were in Durham, weren't you? You were in Durham Hall, I, weren't you? I was in Durwood. No, I was in the Towers first. Yeah, Durwood's the Tower. Durwood, yeah. Dur one is Westwood. I was in Durwood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and remember, I, I remember going up to your room. Drank a whole bunch of that 3-2 uh, Coolers beer. Did not get up. <laughs> was late to my eight. And this was my first lesson about college and scholarship. There was a lady named Lee Gross in charge of making sure that the athletes stayed on point, right? That woman had me in her office by 9 a.m. And then by 10, 15, there was a guy named Tom McMahon. He coached the defense back. Oh, yeah. He had me on the field running sprints and running up and down the stairs in the Moby gym for being late to my eight o'clock class. No, I didn't, I wasn't late. I missed it. I was asleep. And, and I'll that, tell you what. How did Mark not run every day? Man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, it was, hey, it was a lesson, man. It was a great lesson for me now. You know, I'm early everywhere now. So, but I, I, I just wanted to share that, man. I know you guys got a lot of stuff you wanted to talk no, about. No, no, Al, you know, that's a, a big thing. I've been coaching football now. I, I just celebrated 40 years of coaching high school football. Whoa, um, I didn't know that. That's, Congratulations. That's, yeah, I, uh, and I will tell you that I uh, got an honorary doctorate for my coaching in the uh, in the uh, minority community. Uh, I coached okay. uh, Calais Campbell in high school, if you know who Calais wow. Campbell is. But Yeah, big, um, big defensive end from Jacksonville. Yeah, he's at the Ravens now. But, okay. you know, I, I had a lot of the things that you're talking about. It was amazing to me how few, um, how few of these guys had fathers. And yeah. How... how uh, Many of them were uh, angry. Some of them were angry about it, but some of them were hungry about it. Yeah. You know, you were a, you were a hungry guy. You know, you uh, you yeah. took my dad in, and and my dad, you know, my dad liked the black players at CSU more than he liked the white ones. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he he liked Jim Tracy and a few other ones, but uh, Johnny Square was special to my dad. You know, Johnny Square's the uh, the. Uh, the chaplain for CSU, and he's been a chaplain for four years at CSU. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I saw so, him the last time I was there. Yeah, and Mark. So you know, the coaching in that environment, how it's really important that you said those things because it's been around a long time, and you're a, you're a representative of the success that you can have uh, without a lobby because it's still kind of a pandemic. Uh, in in coaching, when you know you're the coach, and they're expecting a little bit more than coach out of you. Uh, yeah, I'm a yeah. fascinated at black mothers. They're amazing people, just amazing people. Me uh, too. Me too. To too. do it on their own. Yeah. I want it sometimes. Yeah, working two or three jobs too. I hate to tell you this. Absolutely. Sometimes I just want to backhand some of these uh, suburban white mothers. How entitling and spoiling they are to their kids and just killing them, you know. And uh, yeah, I had 
She's having to write again in Omar Turner. Here's my Omar Pound. She said, Coach William, you can't let Omar talk to you like that. You got to smack him in the mouth. I can't smack him in the mouth. She said, why not? She said, why not? I'm giving you permission. You ain't never going to get Omar to shut up if you don't smack him in the mouth. I said, I can't. She said, then I'll do it. She smacked him and backhanded him and his lips split like that. She says, Coach Mullane, do you ever need to hit an Omar in the mouth? You just give me a call. And she That's walked right. up. That was on the that was on the practice field. Yeah. I I had one of those incidents by my mom. Hey, I had one of those incidents by my mom. Uh, I had that 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 lady sounds just like my mom. And uh probably my least favorite experience of my mom would be in basketball games, go to the free throw line. There's absolute silence, and my mom screams out, you better hit that shot, Albert. <laughs> and, and we'd be running down the court, and guys would be like, yeah, Albert, you better hit that shot. You know, your mama just told you to hit the shot. I mean, my mom gave people fuel for fire because when she came, you, I could hear my mom in the Silver Dome with 83,000 people. I'm not lying, you know. I could yep. hear my mom. I could hear my mom. Come on, Albert, kill, Bubba, kill. And, and I was totally embarrassed by it then, but I look back now, I'd give anything to have the kind of um, the leadership ability and the discipline that, that um, it's not just black mothers. You know what it is? It's the moms that take interest in their boys that play. Because not every mom, most moms are, are put off by football, but Right. I don't know where I'd be today, probably dead if it wasn't for football. And I don't I don't mean to tell some old inner city story. It's just that I was ADHD. I was yeah. highly attention deficit disorder, you know, so and hyper. And so it gave me somewhere to burn off that energy. And then when I found out in high school, oh, I can kick his butt and not get in trouble. Oh, yeah, man let's let's do this and and the and the best part of being in football for me was to learn how to be in an organized environment like you know you had to listen while the coach was talking of course you know what i'm saying you know when it was in between the drill you didn't turn around and talk to your buddy i, I want to sh i want to share this on your show i have heard and i agree with it 100% that you know hire a veteran Right. But you know what I always say? Corporations could really benefit by hiring ex-athletes because no question. We, we come with everything, having been a CEO, everything that you're looking for in a good employee, athletes bring it to the table. The hard work ethic. It doesn't always go right. Uh, game planning. I mean, think of all the metaphors that they use in the corporate world, the Fortune 500s and the Fortune 100s, you know, the ball's in your court, you know, oh, you're yeah. the next move, you know, he's in the zone. If you think about it, not the other way around, we're not talking about um, athletes being insufficient. We're talking about athletes being corporate contributors to success because they've been in team environments, they understand uh, discipline. Now, that's not to say every single athlete is disciplined. Not every single person that comes out of college is disciplined. They're working to come. But I'm saying the qualities 
the the raw qualities that you're looking for in an employee, that's what you can get in an athlete if you get the right guy and you bring that guy up the same way we came up as freshmen and then sophomores and then juniors. And then you get to that confidence level and you can play at that level. And it's the same way in the work environment. It's the same way you get a guy with those basic hard work ethic qualities. And I'm telling you, man, you have yourself an awesome, awesome employee. Okay, That's I'm going to take, I'm gonna take a real quick. And then right. working under pressure. I'm, right? I'm going to cut this. Don't worry, I can edit this. Uh, you don't have to worry about what you're hearing because we have two audio files going now. Okay, cool. For him, we're going to use the Zoom audio. Okay. For us, we're going to use our microphones. Okay, yeah. So I'll cut him in and out. You don't have to worry about how right, he perfect, sounds. Perfect. So we'll be fine. Yeah, I'm just, we've had the issue with, with audio. audio, so we're, I'm just double checking it. Well, That's okay. That's yeah, okay. We're okay. We're, so getting, we're, cut, we're getting you on now. I checked to make sure when you saw the green light going on your microphone that we're yeah, recording, oh yeah, that we're recording you through yeah through Zoom. Hey, 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 so I, 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 oh, while you're going down that road of corporate, um, you know, hold on, hold on, I just say, I'm gonna put cut back in right. real quick. Go ahead. So Al, as you're talking about NFL players be, being you know optimum corporate um, uh, you know employees and or contributors, et cetera, based on the history and basically how you are, what would you call it, socialized or groomed, groomed, militarized, all the yep, things. Militarized. Along, right? um, taught. You, you, you've had some great success. You, I saw you on Shark Tank when you yeah. went, went on that show. Tell everybody about that because that was fascinating. And what a great idea and concept. And kind of give her, tell everybody a little bit about that experience. Well, we'll go. Well, I, I would like to start first. Uh, first and, and thank you, Coop, uh, for acknowledging that. Um, let me just say this, that that was one of the more difficult things. That was one of the things that taught me that being a part of the team that the NFL college and high school football taught me because, yeah, I was the pitch guy and my daughter was on stage with me, but that was a team effort. Um, even my, at the time, my granddaughter's 13 now, so she was about five. And you know how your grandkids or your kids interrupt you when you're middle of something you're trying to rehearse? Well, my granddaughter was in gymnastics and she would flip around. I'd be practicing my pitch and my granddaughter would flip around and it would distract me. And then finally, one day I said to her, I said, hey, Priscilla, you know what? While Papa's working on his pitch, go ahead and flip in front of me. And she would flip in front of me. And that was her role because how could you not see her? You know, she's being what a five, six year old granddaughter is being. And then when I was in my car, I would practice my pitch. And one day I was listening to um, one of the radio stations in Cleveland. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to turn it on if I can do my pitch while the radio is playing. So, you know, you learn that when you're in a stadium and coach says it's loud there and then they blow out sounds on the stadium. So I picked up these things as an athlete. And I was like, hey, if you want to recreate noise, why don't you do your pitch while you're at radio, while you're listening to the radio? Now, if it's quiet, you should be better. You know, it's the resistance process that we learn as athletes. Hey, guys and gals for your guys. Warmer weather is on its way. No better time than now than to pick up a pair or two of Dick Carrier's men's underwear. Go to respectyourpackage.com. That's right, respectyourpackage.com, and enter the gift code to get 30% off. 
S-I-B-M-U-L-L-S-A-N-D-C-O-O-P. That's S-I-B, Mulls and Coop. And receive 30% off. And as always, respect your package. Now let's return to Al Bubba Baker and Coach Moles and the Coop. Well, the other thing you, you learn, I think, and not more importantly, but I think as importantly, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I had a 30-year telecommunications career. Uh, my last corporate job was as chief sales and marketing officer with 1,200 salespeople reporting to me in a telecommunications company. And uh, every single person that I hear talk about me said it was hard to work for him, but only if you weren't really ultra competitive, because we had a go-to-market strategy that was to dominate the market. And we were the most competitive companies when I was there. I thought basically comp competition, you know, and winning. And, uh, you know, it's either you're either going to feed your family tonight or somebody from another company is going to feed theirs. So you, yeah. you figure that out when you hit the streets and, you know, I think uh, uh, athletes make tremendous uh, business people, especially if they're also competitive. Uh, you know, they don't teach that in, anymore, uh, Al. We were taught to be competitive. We were taught to win. You know, we were taught all these concepts. High school football, man, you tell somebody it's like I got in trouble at a high school where I said, man, your son is lined up against another human being. That's trying to beat him. Okay. And it's a physical battle between those two. It, it gets violent out there. And your son has to be more physical, more violent than the guy across from you because he's got to beat him. And everybody on our front line has to beat the guy across from him or we aren't, we aren't going to win. She turned me into the district and I went on probation at the district for using the word violent and aggressive and those kind of words. You can't teach competitive. You can't even teach, yeah. you can't even use the word competitive uh, or you get in some trouble. So, you know, we're very fortunate in the, in, the, in the time that we grew up to be able to do the things that we were able to learn from our coaches. But that, that was a great experience. I mean, being on television and and um, having someone buy 30% of, of an entity and uh, take it on to, and then you guys perpetuated that. Well, yeah, that was. And, and, and there was some good things that I learned uh, further on with that. And it's ironic that you mentioned telecommunications, Ryan. I'm, I want to come back to that. But that was a great experience. And what we eventually did was we brought on a third partner and they fulfill it now. They buy it, they make it, they fulfill it. I'm the ambassador. And you know what that gave me the opportunity to do? Because this is what I really wanted to share and leave with your story, your, your station, uh, your, your podcast. I always talk about this whenever I um, uh, speak publicly. Uh, I, I tell the truth. I was fortunate and um, enough to have to experience fame. And when I think about, I have some of my grandchildren and because of what Papa did, they want to be famous. And, and I always try to talk them down because my experience as a 20-year-old kid in the National Football League and having some of the accolades and things that happened to me, um, <clears throat> let's just put it like this. Fame is not all it's cracked up to be. Oh, yeah. Just remember that. It, you, we're old enough to remember the song Fame by David Bowie. Boy, was oh, yeah. he ahead of his time. 
<laughs> you know, I just wanted yeah. to say that to you. But Ryan, you mentioned telecommunications and that's what I do now full time. And uh, we're talking about athletes also. I was able to adapt because the food business took a hit during COVID. Just, it just, none of us have recovered, you know? You, you get what I'm saying? None of us oh, have. Yeah. And one, one of my primary customers was uh, uh, the food industry, the Cisco's, the U.S. Foods, the Bolero's, all of the big distributors was buying the boneless ribs. And just all of a sudden overnight, bam, you know, it just stopped. And what that did to me was for about a month, like everybody else, all last March, I just was kind of glued to the TV, like, what's going on? God, Lord, what? what is this really a plague? Are we? And 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 I wanted to believe. My wife and I just went to visit a gym yesterday, and I wanted to believe that this thing was going to be over in another week. This is just one of those things. Yeah. You know, next week, President said it in two weeks. By two weeks, okay, I want to believe that man because I want this ugly thing to go away. Where I'm scared of my fellow man. I don't even want to walk past. My, uh, Ryan Mullaney, I don't, Coop, I never want to be in the room with you ever again because I'm scared I'm going to get this virus and die. And I was like everybody else because I just, what I didn't know was what was hurting me. And so while this was going on, man, I had to learn a new skill set. And what, what was the thing that was out there available for me? It was telecommunications, man. People were getting laid off. People were getting furloughed. And so what I did was I went into the business of um, helping companies that were like, you take, for example, big companies that I knew um, in the um, casino industry, one in particular laid off 40,000 people in the year of 20 to 2021 till now. 40,000 people total shut down seven of its, you know, most profitable businesses the, the traffic to Las Vegas, to Nevada in particular, it dropped by 67%. That was their business. Yeah. So what, what happened to me was I got involved with the telecommunications business. And what I learned was everything has to do with either a landline, a mobile line, an internet line, or a cable line. Everything we're doing, if you stop and think about our sound challenges earlier today, when we started talking, everything has got to do with the line. So I was fortunate enough, again, going back to football, I knew how to pick and how to go after talent. I partnered with the number one telecommunications guy probably in the world. His name is Chet Thacker. He's my partner. And Chet taught me this. He said, out, you know what? You know, I said, man, I'd like to be in that because almost everything we do has these little dumb cell phones involved in them. And, and he said, yeah, Al, they're not all that dumb if you think about what they do. And, you know, we started to talk. And so when we partnered, he started to teach me the pertinent parts of the business. And I can honestly tell you the business that I'm in that a company is called Revelation Approach. Um, Go check it out. It's it's at albubbabaker.com. Um, I do it from I my did check, I did check it out. I saw it. Yeah. yeah. It's ahead. a neat, it's it's kind of cool. It's a neat company, what we're doing. 
um, because we actually help companies. We help companies find that they might have closed down seven facilities or they may have laid off a couple thousand people. Well, what are you doing with those phone lines? I don't know. Well, at $35 to $40 a phone line, soon for a company that has a thousand employees and they don't know if that line's being used, they don't know because it, they either shut it down or it got acquired or they merged and they laid off five of the people that were in IT. So the one guy that was in IT, he's doing 10 jobs. We go in for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we find them money. And not only that, Ryan, we're a no-risk company. So if we don't find that company money, we don't get paid. So you know we're working hard to find these lines yeah. that are yeah. out, that are, and it's it's a waste of money. We find companies, you know, 20, 25% of their annual spend, man. You know, for a big company, 50 million or up. Hey, we're looking at most of these companies lose close to a million, million five a year in lines, in phone lines alone. So that's what our specialty is. And we also, that's tied into utilities. So how did I wind up doing this? COVID came along and I had to find something that, um, you know, that was going to get my mind off of watching CNN every night or Fox every night and dwelling on the negative. I found something positive. Again, I attributed to being a, an athlete, having been a, a primarily college where you go line up where they tell you to line up. You do exactly what they tell you to do. I'm a part of a team now. My my company, Revelation Approach, is merged with uh, Chet's company, Telebrite, and we have a system of how things has to be done. We have jobs. You know, I have a certain job. Um, that's, I mean, I was truly blessed in the middle of, you know, I, I call it a pandemic, a virus, you know, it, the naysaying, the doom. I learned that from change of situation in football, an interception, a fumble, a sack fumble, or you know what I'm saying? Something doesn't go the way. I, I didn't jump off my building when all of a sudden I went from, you know, providing for my wife to not receiving a check to, at one point I was considering, well, do I file for my retirement and disability? How do, what do you do when you're, you know, 63 years old and you, your income is just shut down? Like, well, yeah. you, you find something else, man. It was that scary for me. And I'm just, I'm really grateful. So well, one, guy that come, one, one guy that come, comes to mind for me, Al, um, that probably taught you some of that mindset, because a lot of what you're saying, you mentioned Floyd Peters uh, as a coach. My brother, Mark, had Floyd Peters as a coach. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. And, uh, Whoa. And your Mark, brother uh, had Floyd? Your bro Floyd yeah. coached your brother? Yeah. Is your brother Okay. Is he all right? Is, is well, he, here's, here's what he says. Is he getting about, therapy? Here's he what he therapy? says about Floyd Peters. Because <laughs> this man was evil. Because evil he, is a good word. He, was, uh, a good word. <laughs> he said, you know, I thought when I first met him, I thought, I'm going to kill this, this guy. This guy thinks he's a badass. He puts one hand yeah. on me. I'm going to kill him. You know? Yeah. And uh, he was talking about how Floyd came in his first day and he got introduced as a defensive line coach by Bud Grant. And, he says, uh, "Hey, all you, uh, all you linebackers, uh, you guys probably get incentives 
for making tackles. It's blitz, get a sack, whatever. He's just, you ain't making any tackles <laughs> anymore. <laughs> and he goes, you, uh, you guys that you defensive backs that get paid incentives for interceptions, you ain't getting any interceptions. I ain't never seen a quarterback sitting on his ass throwing interceptions. <laughs> that That's who fun. we're gonna be. And he he was relentless with Mark. Yeah. And he made Mark, he said, Hey, listen, you're not you don't have much more time in this league. He says that he took uh uh Dolman. I can't remember Dolman's first name. He just passed Chris away. Dolman. Chris, Chris Dolman. Dolman. Yeah, Hall took, of Famer. Hall of Famer. Yeah, Chris Dolman was a linebacker. And he said to Mark, you're, you're going to play tackle, and you're going to teach him how to play defensive end. That's cool. You understand? You're going to be the leader. He and Chris, by the way, were very close all the way to when he passed. Mark Solom, very close to when he passed. Um, and Mark says he's the best coach he's ever had. But at the time, oh, so no question. Some of the things and principles that you were talking about about your business, right? And the relentlessness of how Floyd Peters went about things with discipline. And, uh, and I've heard Mark teach this too. It's, you know, the root word of discipline is disciple, which is a believer, not follower, somebody who follows the code, somebody who follows the discipline. And uh, that uh, made me think of Floyd Peters, Peterson because he didn't allow for any, you know, Floyd Peters was his name, not Peterson, uh, was that kind of guy. So tell me about, on the outside, Al, I watched everywhere you went. You know, I watched you every single time I had a chance to do it. And all Thank those you, years, we, we, did, uh, we didn't connect. And my brother Mark and I were extremely proud of uh, watching yeah. you play football. All right, I don't want to start crying, uh, uh, okay, on a podcast, but I, I'm super, I'm so flattered, man. I got goosebumps, seriously. I, 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 I was, that's what, that was the fuel in my tank, knowing that most of people like you know that I came to Fort Collins as a big fat cream puff who didn't know where the weight room was. And, and I said it, yeah, and it's the truth. And I, I didn't have a chest, I had breasts. Um, and, and when somebody said something to me, I'll never forget this, Eugene Butler used to take the bar and put it behind his head and do some work on this thing called triceps. I was like, triceps? Big time of triceps. And he would pinch the back of my arm, this is where you should have triceps. And he'd have a handful of fat, you know. And I was just this cream puff. And remember, I wanted to play basketball. I didn't even want to play football. You did play basketball. Uh, all four years. But the guy named Floyd Peters, he taught me what you just, you already put your finger on it. And his lessons for me, by the way, Mark couldn't have hated him nowhere near as much as I did. <laughs> when Coop was talking about how many sacks I had in Detroit, and I just kept thinking about Floyd, you know, hey, guy, you started, <laughs> get off the ball, get off the ball, you know. You know, I remember one game in particular, I, this is no lie, we played against the Washington Redskins. I had three sacks, back to back to back. 
I mean, it was like I sacked uh, Thiesman on the first play. They dropped back. I sacked him again. And then it was a third and long. And I was supposed to fake like I was going to drop in coverage, which I never did. I never dropped in coverage. Tackle just blocked down. I ran in it and Thiesman fell on the ground. I had three sacks. Never done that again in my life. Monday, I came in. I'm thinking, finally, Floyd's going to say, you played your butt off. So we're looking at the film, and the film room is dark. You know, I'm waiting, man. Finally, at, you know, had three sacks, you know, a couple of hits. And he, he just ran right to him. I said, like, hey, 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 play that back again, you know, because it was a nice movie. He's like, ah, now you got three sacks and you quit on me. The rest of the game, you son of a bitch, you better not ever quit on me. God, God damn it, you stayed up and he ran me on Monday and I had a swollen ankle. And I, you know, everybody was like, what was that about? And I was like, man, you know what? I hate that, man. You know, and I was pissed. I said I was going to quit, you know, and go on. When I was retired and he came down with dementia, I would call him, you know, in Lake Tahoe. And he said, you know what that happened? You know what happened? He, he came back to him. He said, you know what that was? I said, what? He said, I sensed in you that because you got three sacks, it was enough. And you laid down on me the rest of the game. You were satisfied. Don't you ever be satisfied, young yes. man. You know, and he went back out. And Nancy said, hey, he's, you know, and I was like, that son of a gun, you know, he had, ne we had never discussed it because it was a low point for me. It was like, oh, yeah, you know, I hate Floyd. You know, I, I hated his guts. And he told me that all he wanted to do was get out of me what I had in me that even I didn't see because that's what he was there to do. And he said, I didn't give a damn if you like me. That was Floyd Peters. So oh, yeah. I when I got five that. sacks in a game, right. he said I should have had eight or right. nine. Tampa, or Tampa Bay, right? Five sacks against Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah. And, and, wow. and he, did a, he, he did a similar thing. And you want to know something? He was right. Because when you're a ball player and you – hit two home runs in a game and nobody else has hit more than two, you know, or you hit the walk-off, you don't know what's out there on the other side. You got to be coached to that. Yet, you know, we're trained to do a certain job. But when you're approaching that unthinkable, nobody's ever been there. So if you're not a little bit afraid of it, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you when, yeah. you know, the highest score has been 38 points in one quarter and you're at 36 and the ball comes to you. If you don't feel that, you're not human. You're missing the whole point of the journey. And this guy, he made sure that I understood afterwards, you know, he, and he told me, he knew exactly, I didn't even know how many sacks I had. He's, he, he's got dementia now, right? He said, that's the reason you have 132 and a half sacks. He said, because you knew when you left me to drive yourself. And I actually had better career years playing for other coaches because they used to ask me, well, well, how did Floyd handle this? You know, what would you guys do here? And I'd say to him, hey, look, this is what we did. 
We didn't do we didn't do ten jobs. We didn't play the draw, the screen, and oh yeah, they got that trap play. Our number one thing was to get to the quarterback, and when we got there, be in a real bad mood. Tackle the run on the way there. That's how we got our reputation. We didn't have all those thoughts. And, and matter of fact, we talked about that screen when we first started. Floyd said to me, what the hell are you doing out there? All these people screaming in the Silver Dome. I picked the ball up. He ran out to the 20-yard line. I don't want you playing running backs. Go get the quarterback. They cursed me out. That's how On that very, that very same play, he, he cursed me like a dog and just sort of get off of the Floyd thing. Every time I meet a guy that's been coached for him, I always share this with him, and they can relate to it. I thought my middle name was a swear word. It, I mean, the guy cursed me so bad, you know, I, I didn't get into bar fights in the NFL because Floyd would curse me so bad. Whatever a guy said that was drunk, it was nothing. Because he could he could put together a string and he just in your face and spit on you and treat you like a dog. But all he wanted you to do was get to the quarterback, take it out of him. Didn't he have Al, didn't he have problems with his elbows? Like his arms were stuck. Were they like frozen well, elbow or something? He didn't. He didn't have a calf. First of all, his calf was gone. We it, yeah, it was no right. surgery. He pulled it and it just disappeared. So he had this one really small calf, and then he had a bicep that snapped, and he never had surgery, and his right arm didn't straighten out. So yeah. I used to make fun of him when he would go and he would say, he'd go over to the blackboard, bad guy. I like that. And I said, all right, coach. I, I, you know, and he, and he, you know, I'd be like, you said you wanted me to, you know, because he couldn't draw the line on the, on the chalkboard. And, and we just all bust out laughing, you know, and he'd eventually wind up drawing it down halfway down on the blackboard because his arm didn't do this anymore from his bicep. Man, we had a laugh at that because he'd be on the sideline cussing you. That bicep wouldn't let go. And he, yeah, I mean, he made up curse words, man. I think I brought the worst of him out because I had just this look at him. I would, I would look at him, you know, I, I'd look at him. We had, this, we had this unspoken rule that we didn't want Monty Clark to know. And that was, we didn't give a crap if we jumped off sides. If you weren't a hair trigger, you wouldn't jump off sides. You know, we didn't we didn't look for guys who never jumped off sides. <laughs> we we wanted to jump off sides because we was in our stance in a Twitter, just can't wait to see anything out of the corner of your eye move so you could come off the ball. So Monty didn't know that. So when we jumped off sides, Monty Clark would go over to Floyd and say something like, Baker just jumped off sides again, you know. And so you could see Floyd talking to Monty in that arm with that bicep. And you knew what he was saying to him, but it looked like he was saying to Monty, up yours, you know. So we'd be on the field laughing at him talking with Monty Clark. It was just, it was, it was incredible, man. So he he made me who I am today. Yeah. So uh, I, got a, I got a question, Al. Did you, are yeah. you in the... Uh, are you in the uh, 
CSU Hall of Fame? I am. I am. Okay. Uh, you can turn your speaker on on your uh, on your computer if you want. No. I think it's on. Yeah. Um, just got to turn it up a little bit. I think it's as high. Wait a minute. No, I've got you. Yeah. You got there. It is. Yeah. All right. Sorry, I, I didn't hear your I didn't hear your answer. Are you in the Hall of Fame at CSU? I am. I am. Right. Okay. Now, uh, Mark. Uh, Mark was inducted as well. Um, I remember. Oh. I remember you. I watched you. I followed you all the way through CSU. You know, uh, especially when Mark was there. Uh, watched you play. Um, watched film of you. I went to UNLV. Uh, from Colorado University, I spent uh, two years down there and started at linebacker. I finally got my position. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you know, there's some uh, Ed in that deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> my dad walked into Bill Mallory's office and threatened his life. He said, my son's not playing here anymore. And he goes, you're going to – my dad looked at me and goes, you're going to Las Vegas. Get your stuff out of the dorm. Mallory probably paid yeah. for the flight. But anyway, we played against UNLV, and I ended up getting the game ball repeat. I mean, we played CSU at UNLV, and I got the game ball because I had 18 tackles against CSU. We beat them 33 to six. That was the year after you left. The Bell brothers were still there, and everybody on that field was trying to kill them. But my dad put and this is very. <laughs> he's not here now, so he can't get in any trouble. But he put a $50 bill on the board in our locker room and said, "Anybody who gets a shot at Sarkar Slaney gets that $50 bill." And my my roommate, I'm running the sidelines chasing uh, Larry Jones, you know, who was really fast. Yeah. Boy, I tackled him at the sideline, got him out. But I thought, where the hell is Bob Rather? He was my roommate. Oh, Bob, you know, I see the coolers all spill on the sidelines, CSU sideline. He hit Sark so hard, he went underneath the table of the. No. Yeah. Yeah, and he wow. walked over, he's walking on the field, looks at me, he goes, tell your old man that 50 bucks is mine. So uh, that's the entire second half of the game. And they, only had, they, had just got, they had just gotten done beating Arizona State the week before. And uh, Sark had said, uh, it's always good to play a team like UNL because you know you want to win your homecoming game. It was their homecoming game. They beat them 33-6. to And uh, we had a great team, but we were all – made up of players from other schools. You know, those three guys that stole the TVs at Notre Dame, they all started at UNLP. <laughs> yeah, it was a great school to go to. But anyway, uh, you're now in the – you're now – no, we weren't going to speak at the screen. Um, you're a, a Hall of Famer at CSU. Are you still in touch with Colorado State? You know, I've tried to – um, no, no, I, uh, you know, I, that's a succinct answer. No, I, um, you know, I'll just put it like this. Things were different back then, 1974 through yeah. 1978. Uh, the country was different. Um, the, you know, coming to a little town like Fort Collins, while it had its, um, um, just this wonderful traits and its beauty in itself. The country was different. Um, how, what we thought was politically correct then was different. You know, my experience 
with coaching was a culture shock, you know, where there was 11, 12 coaches on a team. No, uh, Mike Ackerley, um, I think I understood him. Tom, the guy that ran me, um, you know, yeah, Charlie Army was tough. Charlie Army was, uh, you know, we had some work to do. And then another guy came in, Scott Hennington. And I'm going to, I want to make sure I make this statement with everything else that I said, I want to support it. When you go to college, in order for you to be a good collegiate athlete, you have to fit in. You have to strive to fit in that peg right there. You, yeah. you really do. You, you know, when you're in cover two, you're in cover two. You got that outside zone and yeah. if the ball doesn't come in there and you hustle to the ball, you know, what made my experience at Fort Collins a, a challenge was my ADHD, my background of coming in Newark, New Jersey. If somebody poke you with a finger, you hit them with a sledgehammer, you fight back. If you think something's wrong, mm -hmm. you stand up to it. My mom, my, my mama taught me this because I didn't have a dad. And she said to me, you stand up to your bullies and you kneel down to God in prayer. You stand up to bullies and you kneel down. And I just wrestled with when I first got my first experience of how college was set up. It was a corporation, you know, and, and, and for me, I had never seen that. I didn't understand, you know, the, the cliches of like you didn't fight City Hall, you you um, you take one for the team. You remember what it was like, right? I mean, you know, just because oh, yeah. your dad, just because your dad had things to say, that's why they put you at nose guard. That's the way things were then. So, I I I remember a lot of the things that took place. Why I was so driven to be successful in my rookie year because there was a lot of people I needed to show, hey, check this out. You know, that's what makes great businessmen out of athletes. Hey, wow. I don't forget you. I didn't forget you number 65. I'm going to get you next year. I, I will never forget you. You know what I mean? I won't forget that we play two games a year. So when I get back down to Tampa, y'all chop block me. I bet you one thing, I ain't going to forget it. You know, and, and those kinds of qualities, if you learn, and here's the key word, to manage those qualities. <laughs> if, you're, if you're crazy and you hurt your team or you hurt your company or you hurt your organization, then you're selfish. See, I learned those things. I didn't know that when I was 20. What 20-year-old knows that or 18 years old in Fort Collins? So I always thought that the university didn't respect my talents and my abilities. I don't you know, I went did. to school. I think that I was went the, through school. I think that was the way it was back then. How you know? It was the way it was. They, that they was the way it was. Say, Bill Mallory was the same way up at Colorado University. You know, I will tell you. Uh, you know, the Sarkar Slaney and telling me I'm the worst football player that ever came, stepped on CSU's campus, and I needed to get out of there. Um, and then having that, you know, $50 bounty on him and my roommate taking him out and, you know, all this other stuff. Uh, many years later, 
I get I get a pretty nice signing bonus in the USFL, and I find out that the head of scouting for the USFL is Starker Slaney, and he's the one who recommended me for the Arizona Wranglers. Yep, yep. And they yep. picked me up, and he came out on the practice field, and he said, I just want to tell you something. You've turned into a great football player. And uh, that was a – that's kind of the way that, – that's kind of the circle of life, right, Al? Yep, 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 yep. And me and Charlie Army had the same thing. Charlie and I, Charlie Army and I became, when he was at the height of his career, coach, uh, general managing for the Rams, um, I would see him and I played my best games, of course, against him, you know, because I knew he was there um, or whomever it was. Anybody, I always found a reason to have a chip on my shoulder because that was what I was paid to do. I was a defensive end. But Charlie Army sat me down one day and he told me, he said, you know, we didn't see guys that played basketball and football back in those days. He said, and I resented you for being on the basketball court when I wanted you in the weight room. And I was like, you what? He's like, yeah, everybody was supposed to be in the weight room from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock or whatever it was. And you we're playing basketball. And he said, you didn't get that? I was like, no, because I was too busy being an athlete, too busy being a kid. Well, having fun. I said, basketball for you was better because it helped control your cardiovascular system and you'd lose weight. You'd lose I, I loved weight. basketball. I mean, you I grew did, up I don't care how heavy you were. You were still dunking that ball like it was nothing. Uh, uh, well, see, but but you, you get what I'm saying? You yeah. In those days, you didn't play another sport. Right. And certainly, and certainly, I don't know if you know this happened, but at one point, my junior year, um, the basketball team actually took part in paying for a portion of my scholarship. You know, don't know how that happened. It was it was all out of. Yeah, that's illegal. That's illegal now. You can't do that. Schools can't do that anymore. Okay, what you do with track. Yeah. And and, and back in those days, I thought I was a better. I thought I was going to be a better basketball player because in high school, you know, I was very good at it. But here's my point to you: we didn't understand the lessons that we were being taught in those situations. I am so grateful to Colorado State. It's just that I have not been able to. Uh, I, I can, I can just say things were different then. I've tried to work with the school like you know in the past they've asked me to do things and it's it's a small thing it's a small thing you know but to me it it kind of hurt you know they would they would say we want you to come back we want you to come to a game and we'll get you the company discount at Holiday Inn, you know, and I'd be like, well, you know, normally it's customary when somebody wants me to come somewhere, they pay for the flight. And that was always like, a, you know, and so I, I wouldn't do well, here, it. Here's what we're going to do, Al, because we're, we're running out of time. But here's what okay. we're going to do, okay? Mark and I and Ed and you are going to find a way to walk back onto CSU's campus without any assistance from them at all. Yeah. We're going to walk into that athletic department and we're going to let them see some of the best athletes that ever walked onto that campus. And that won't be one of them. <laughs> It'll be you three uh-huh. guys. 
They got a coach up there right now, and this Adazio guy. I think he's going to do okay, but he's he's in it for Adazio. He doesn't give a shit about that uniform, the university. Um, he thinks he he, uh, he can put that put it up, but that university needs you, Al. Okay, and so do those kids that are playing football there because you're an example of what you can be in some of the toughest situations that you face. And uh, we're going to put that together, okay? And I'm going to give right, you a call. I'm going to give you a call, and we're going to we're going to make that happen. But we're way past an hour. I don't want to take any more of your time. And uh, thank you. I, right. I, I, I love you, and I can't see. I haven't seen you in a ton of years, and that's wrong. That's just wrong. That's all right. And uh, you know we'll uh, we'll have some fun. And I know that Mark and Ed want to talk to you. I was going to have him call in on this, and I forgot to do it. Uh, right. they, were, they were excited. I know Mark was really excited to talk to you. So we're going well, to. I, I, I hope I had you laughing, you know, because we, oh, yeah. we've, we, we've all had enough seriousness, you know, like, you know, oh, I yeah. like to laugh at myself. Hey, man, make sure, hey, uh, follow me at Al Bubba Baker and go check out what I'm doing because, you know, I, I am trying to represent for athletes. We're not big dummies. Yeah. We're, we're, there's an advantage to hiring an athlete to come work for you if. You give them a shot instead of this, well, you're not on the football field anymore. You know, you are. <laughs> we are. That's what we uh -huh. learned from the game, how to compete. We're, we're great competitors and we're fast learners, man. Well, uh, Go check out my stuff. Yeah, you Al. Al, you're a great example for these kids. Yep. Um, I, uh, Calais Campbell, his father died on Thanksgiving morning of the senior year in high school. His family wow. didn't have any money. And Calais, I believe, has made over $160 million playing football. And uh, deserves every penny of it. He deserved every penny of it. He yeah. was the best for a while. He was and the best. Yeah, and he was all pro again last year. And he's 14 years in the league. He's my son's one of my son's best friends because they played together in high school. But the point is that you are doing it outside of football. And uh, that's that's amazing, and that's what most kids uh, that are playing football need to hear is that this sport is going to turn you into an Al Bubba Baker and, and make things right. Yeah. Al, we're going to go and I'm going to call you soon. Okay. I've got to clean up this room here and then uh, we're going to talk soon and I'm going to get my brothers on the, on a call too. Cause I, thanks, know I would love that. Great hey, talking, thanks man. guys. No All right, thanks guys. God bless, you. God bless you. Keep, uh, stay close to those kids, man. They're going to be taking care of you soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take care. Hey, it is time again to aerate your lawn and get it healthy and green for the summer. March, April, and May are the best months of the year to get your lawn aerated here in Colorado. So get a hold of our good friend Florian McCann by going to his website, milehighservices.com. That is milehighservices.com. Or call Florian and his crew at 303-778-1000. That's 303-778-1000.